Hi, welcome to the Macabre Emporium. Let me get my emotional support cat. Okay. <laughs> to be quiet and keep the kids quiet, since he was getting anxiety and he didn't want to kill children. Gertrude's daughter even got to join in on what they considered fun. Tell us about the giant turtle. Alan never showed up, nor was he ever heard from again beyond that point. Welcome back to Macabre Emporium. This is episode 16. And if this is your first time joining us, welcome. This week is going to be a little different. Um, oh, David is going to say a little something about the topic that we're, we're speaking about today. And then I will tell you my story and then I'll hand it back over to David to share his. So with that, we're going to just dive in. Yep. Go no for it. No new announcements. No nothing like that. Uh, this today's episode it actually marks the 113th anniversary of the Boy Scouts of America, which for anybody that knows me personally, scouting has been a big part of my family's life for as long as I can remember, even before I was even born and probably with my oldest sister before my, our, you know, middle brother, I guess you'd call him, was born as well too, with her probably being a Girl Scouts at the time. And uh, there is a tale that goes around from scout camp to scout camp that explains, though know, basically, I guess you could call it a legend of how the scouts came about. And the story that goes is scouting was brought to America by William D. Boyce, a Chicago publisher, and that the way Boyce discovered scouting is one of the moment's most colorful stories. Boyce, it seems, was in London in the fall of 1909, and was out in the famed London fog looking for an office in the center of the city. Nearly at his wit's end, Boyce stopped a young man and asked for directions. Not only did the youth tell Boyce how to reach his destination, he actually led Boyce there to make certain the American found his way without becoming lost again. Boyce, to show his gratitude, offered the youth a tip. But this youth would not accept it. When he asked why, the young man told Boyce that he was a Boy Scout and taking a tip would negate the good deed he would do by violating his scouting code. Boyce was so impressed by this young man's character that he wanted to learn more about the Boy Scouts and he would meet with, eventually, Lord Baden-Powell, which is the founder of the scouting program in the United Kingdom where it originally started. It didn't start in the States? Nope. Boy Scouts oh. of America is founded off of a program founded in the United Kingdom. Oh, I did not know that. So that's just a small legend of... How the Boy Scouts of America got started. And the official starting date would be February 8th, 1910. So what is it that you have for us today? Let me guess. It's going to be true crime. No. Say what? Yep. I figured in the spirit of celebrating the Boy Scouts and you having been a Boy Scout. Probably the worst Boy Scout. Oh, thanks. (laughs) And how... Just wait. Since we've been watching The Last of Us, just wait until that actually happens and you're going to take that back. Uh Uh-huh. And how scouts in general, Girl Scouts and Boy Scouts, have been tied in with your family. Mm -hmm. I thought I'd do a matching theme. So this week I will not be talking about murder, blood, or death. This week I will be talking about an outstanding Boy Scout. A hero, even. Mark it on the calendar, everybody. Sarah does have a positive story for once in her life that she can share with everyone. Yeah. (laughs) What are you talking about? Well, I'm going to talk about one of the most infamous Eagle Scouts that's ever been part of the scouting program by the name of David Hahn. I'm not going to share too much on what David Hahn has done. Um, 
if you're big into history and weird history like I am, I'm sure you already know his story. But I'm going to keep it a little bit of a mystery a little bit longer. It's nothing. I've never heard of it, even being from that area. Yeah. Never heard of it until you told me about it. I'm going to go ahead and start. All right. And then when I'm done, you can take a crack at it. (laughs) So are you ready to get started then? Yep. In the summer of June 2020, 13-year-old Jake Friebel was on a family trip at Johnson's Shut-Ins, which is a state park in Missouri. Jake was a Boy Scout with Troop 535. He said he was inspired to become a scout by his grandfather. Was your grandpa a scout or anything like that? I think my grandfather was. On your dad's side? Yes. He had joined the Cub Scouts first, and then when he entered the fifth grade, he became a Boy Scout. Jake had gone swimming on the East Fork of the Black River. He swam where the current flows around rock formations that create beautiful, like, a water park, basically, with, like, natural rock slides and, you know, pools of... of, kind of like in the Goonies before they find the pirate ship. Yep. But this is the type of place that numerous people would flock to for fun in the sun. After Jake went down one of the rock slides, he dropped into a deep pool. He hooked onto a rock along the edge and held on until his family was able to catch up to him. He made sure to avoid the whirlpools in the center that were caused by two waterfalls that emptied into the pool that he was in. Jake said, As my mom was about to go through, this girl about 16 or 17 cut her off and went down the slide. She made it all the way down the waterfall, but while she was going through that whirlpool, she stopped and turned around to see where her friend was. We were screaming at her to keep swimming and to swim away from the whirlpool. Within the next five minutes, Jake would become a certified hero. Unfortunately, the current would pull her under, causing her to panic and be pushed down even further. Jake was close enough to her that he was able to blindly reach down underwater and pull her up. He grabbed her and hauled her over to the rock that he was hanging onto. The girl was in shock and accidentally let go, causing her to go back through the the whirlpool. So she let go and it like sucked her right back into the whirlpool. Jake said, I could barely see her hands when I grabbed her and pulled her back up a second time. I assumed she was around two to two and a half feet underwater when I pulled her out. Jake sprang into action. This time, he swam her through the current until they both reached safety on the other side of the pool. She was able to climb out. She was rattled and left quickly with her friend, so Jake and his family never had the chance to talk to her. Jake's mom, Jennifer, said, Jake didn't think it was any big deal. He thinks anyone would would have done it. He is extremely modest about it. I was in awe of Jake when I saw him grab the girl, and then she went under, and he had to go under, grab her, I was just shocked. So many emotions came over me. I was so proud. His dad and I, along with other family members, were going on and on about how amazing that was. To this day, he still thinks everyone makes a huge deal over it for nothing because he said, what else would I have done? Watch her drown? He doesn't think it was a big deal at all that he reacted in such a great way to save her. He thinks it's natural instinct for anyone. However, I do not believe everyone would have that instinct. <laughs> no. Not everybody does. <laughs> no, I don't I don't yeah. I don't think everybody does. No, I mean flight or flight is basically written <clears throat> into our genetics, lack of a better term at this point, you know. Mm-hmm. 
So some people, you know, would have ran from it. You know, you don't know how you're going to, you know, react to a situation like that until you're actually in it. You could right. say you do, but you don't until you actually do it. Yeah. When asked how he knew she needed help, Jake stated, I figured she was drowning as the first time I could tell she was flailing around underwater. When she came up, she coughed a little bit of water up. Second time, I knew she was already tired, so it was obvious. I wasn't really thinking when it happened. It felt like an instinct where you don't think, you just do. Jake didn't think of himself as a hero. However, he told this story to his scoutmaster, and the scoutmaster told Jake that he was pretty positive that he would be eligible for a Medal of Merit. Mm -hmm. Have you heard of those? There's so many different medals that the scouts have, (laughs) I don't know. I didn't earn any of them. Yeah, I... uh, when I was looking for a picture of just the Medal of Merit, mm-hmm. there were so many that popped up. I found I wound up finding one, but there were so many that popped up. Right. It will like, see. What the heck? With as long as the Boy Scouts have been around, that you know, there's probably revisions of it for each class of scouts. Like there's Scouts Canada, Scouts mm-hmm. UK, Boy Scouts of America. It all depending on the country. So there's probably just so many versions of it out there for. Each region type. Right. So, for those that don't know, and I was one of those, um, the Medal of Merit is an award that is given for scouts who have performed an act of meritous service that is above and beyond what is typically expected from a scout. Upon learning that, the Freeble family filled out the paperwork and submitted it. Mom, Jennifer Freeble, said that they didn't hear anything back until the Greater St. Louis Area Council of Boy Scouts gave them the exciting news that Jake's application had been approved. It then got passed on to the National Court of Honor, and they made the decision that the Medal of Merit wasn't nearly enough. They also wanted Jake to have the Heroism Award. The Heroism Award is a rare honor. Since 1923, only 6,077 people have earned the Heroism Award. The Greater St. Louis Area Council is the third largest council in the country and had not presented that award in more than nine years before they gave it to Jake. Hmm. When the Freebles heard the news, Jen said she was shocked and super proud. She said she was super proud of him that day, too, that there were a bunch of people around and he was the only one that did anything. Jake was presented the Heroism Award during an Order of the Arrow Conclave weekend at a Boy Scout reservation on April 10th in 2021. That's what we went to for your nephew, yes? No, that was a tap-out ceremony for him to become part of the Order of the Arrow. Um, It's not really that, but for listeners that don't know, I'm going to put this in a very watered-down version of what the Order of the Arrow is think of it as a secret society for the most part when it's it's really not but there's no other way to really put it, it that ceremony was quite something quite mysterious it's very it was, it was strange yeah. yeah i mean it was cool but it was strange well because of daylight savings time kind of really ruined how that whole ceremony really should have been in the dark it should have really been in the dark <laughs> because you saw it went with us in the daytime to see it, but usually in the dark, the whole fire pit ring we were sitting in would actually uh-huh. be dark. And the whole ceremony that you saw where the fire ignites itself and everything yeah, makes more sense and has more showmanship, I guess you could say. And then when the, the arrowmen, as they're called, come out, you know, from out of the dark, out of nowhere, basically. 
Except you saw them all walk up. Yeah. To where they yeah. were com- supposed to come yeah, from. Yeah, way to go, Daylight Savings Time, for fucking that up. Yeah. And then, you know, you see them take them off to know, you know, the parts unknown. Uh-huh. And then just mysteriously reappear elsewhere, reappear later. When it's time to go home. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's actually the same night. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they reappear the same night for Cracker Barrel time. Fuck yeah. Yeah. Okay, so. Finish time with fucking scare camps. Oh my God. Jose Sadewasser was the CEO of the Greater St. Louis Area Council. And he said, this is the exact type of behavior we want our scouts to be prepared for, but hope they never have to use. In a shared congratulations to Jake and another scout who received a Medal of Merit as well. He said their actions were worthy of Medal of Merit and much more. And we are proud of their life-saving actions. He also said something that scouting really works to impress on our young people is the importance of looking out for one another. Our scouts are taught to help each other without expecting any reward. And this kind of behavior is exactly that. In the Scout Oath and Law, we set goals for how these young people work to be loyal to each other and be brave in the face of uh, difficult situations. And Jake embodied this oath. Oath. (laughs) Even though he said he felt proud to receive such a high honor, Jake's Boy Scout's journey didn't end there. The next goal he set for himself was to obtain the requirements needed to become an Eagle Scout. And I'm sure in years you're going to talk about Eagle Scout. Unless you have that already, I'll let you I, go I don't. So, if you're going to talk about it in years already, no. we're not going to go over so. it now. So you'll have to stick around and listen to his. Ha! <laughs> Jake said of himself, I feel proud to know that I saved a human life, but it feels a little weird to go from being an everyday student living an average life to having everyone who hears about what happened coming up to you and congratulating you. If Jake got the chance to talk to the girl he saved that summer, there's only one thing he'd say to her. Jake himself said, I'd just ask if she was all right. Jake never learned her name. He didn't know anything about her. He sprang into action and saved her life that day. I say he saved more than one life that day because he also saved everyone around him, Mm -hmm. everyone around that situation from witnessing that girl die. Right. So, way to be a good human, Jake. Yeah, way to go, Jake. On the off chance that you ever happen to hear this fucked up podcast, I hope this, you made Eagle Scout, because this was from yeah. two years ago. So, yeah. I mean, he could have. He could have, and it's a lot of work that goes into earning that badge. So, I hope you made it and continue to you do know, amazing things in your lifetime. Well, excuse me, that rank or, you know, our neighbor might have an issue with it because he is one himself and he... Oh, at me on Facebook about it, basically. I don't know if we've ever said it, but our neighbors are assholes. <laughs> <laughs> it's David's brother and sister-in-law. <laughs> Anyways, I'm sure you've heard the saying, not all heroes wear capes. Right. In this case, it's true. He was wearing swim trunks. <laughs> he Well, he wasn't wearing a cape. Well, that's true. He was wearing swim trunks. Yeah. But that's my short little story about a hero boy scout. Yeah. No, it's just really odd to hear from you coming from you. That, that was doing really a, hard to, to read. Do a story of positivity. Is it because it wasn't all blood and guts and murder made it hard for you to read? Probably. <laughs> so I don't know. That's not my not my shtick. So since Sarah did mention the Eagle Scouts, it is the highest rank you can earn as a Boy Scout. Even though most boys that do enter the scouting program as a whole usually start off in kindergarten as a Tiger Cub. 
and then work your way through Cub Scouts. You would go through the ranks starting off as a Bobcat, working your way up to the Weeblow rank, which is kind of like the Cub Scout equivalent of the Eagle rank. And then you would go into Boy Scouts and you'd work your way up to Eagle, which is like the highest rank you can earn as a Scout. You would think a lot of boys would actually earn this rank of Eagle. Since its inception in 1912, only about 2 million Scouts that have ever been registered in the Boy Scouts of America have actually earned this rank. How many? 2 million. That's a lot. Since 1912. 2 million is still a lot. From since 1912 when this Eagle rank was first created. I don't... I'm... I'm, Scouts were not my, my family's thing, so I can't say one way or another but to me that sounds like a lot i know it still sounds like a lot but you have to think at how many boys entered the scouting program per year which couldn't find like an exact number and then figure it out in 113 years probably it's two million out of whatever generally it boils down to annually less than six percent of the boys that enter the scouting program will only ever actually achieve the rank of eagle huh does that make it seem a little bit more, I don't know. Yeah, two. I mean, two million is just a big number anyways. Oh, we were talking about two million out of billions of people. Okay, that makes that makes a yeah. difference here in billions of people. Some notable Eagle Scouts, other than the one that I'm going to be talking about. Um, let's see, there's been at least 40 astronauts that have earned the rank of Eagle, including Neil Armstrong and Charles Duke. Neil Armstrong walked on the moon. Uh, the founder of Walmart was this, was an Eagle Scout as well. Oh, Wally World owner. Mm-hmm. Michael Bloomberg, the mayor of the New York City and founder of Bloomberg LP. He was an Eagle Scout. And some athletes that were NBA All-Star Mark Eaton, Shane Victorino, that is a Major League Baseball player. NASCAR, NASCAR Cup Series William Byron is also an Eagle Scout. Really? Mm-hmm. Now, these next couple names you probably might have heard. Um, a small time director of Spie- Steven Spielberg. He was a Eagle Scout. Yep. And the wow. guy that hosted a show called Dirty Jobs by the name of Mike Rowe. He was an Eagle Scout Mike as well. Mike Rowe. We've talked about this is what the second or third episode that he's been brought up. Possibly. I don't remember. <laughs> and uh, documentary and filmmaker Michael Moore is also an Eagle Scout. Oh. Uh, but the Eagle Scout that I'm going to be talking about is a little bit more infamous, I guess you can say. I don't know how else to put it when I get into this, but another little interesting thing is that before the Eagle Scout was going to be called the Eagle Scout rank, um, it was actually known as the Wolf Scout, but they had changed it, and I don't know why, but the things that David Hahn did to require to to acquire some of the things that he did, Wolf would probably be more fitting for him, and this all comes from the area you're from. Yeah! Right by my grandma. And this was in the 90s. So you probably may or may not have been exposed to this unknowingly visiting your grandmother. David Hahn. He was born on October 30th, 1976 in Royal Oak, Michigan. His parents, Ken and Patty Hahn, were both engineers for a lesser known auto manufacturer that goes by the name of General Motors. Oh yeah, they're so small. (laughs) Yeah, no way. (laughs) <laughs> no one knows who they are. They, they no. didn't stick around. They weren't around for many years. No. His parents would divorce when David was only a toddler, and he was often described as just like any other boy, out riding bikes, playing soccer and baseball, and he would also join the Boy Scouts as well when he was a kid. 
All this would change when he received on his 10th birthday from his grandfather, the Golden Book of Chemistry Experiments. Oh, I feel like, feel like they fucked up. <laughs> yep. Little <laughs> did his grandfather know this is where he <laughs> fucked up. You'll <laughs> <laughs> find out soon enough. I thought this might be like simple home experiments, like using lemon juice to write secret messages in paper. Did you ever do that before? Uh-uh. Where you take lemon juice, you write something out, you let it dry, and then you hold it to light, and then you can see it because the no. acid changes the paper. Anyhow. Or, you know, maybe a baking soda volcano. No, this is like the from the uh, chemistry, uh, like a DIY do-it-at-home chemistry fun book, I guess you could say, from the 1960s. So this book literally gives you step-by-step instructions on setting up a laboratory with actual beakers, Bunsen burners, whatever you think you find in a science lab. Yeah, this book fucking told you how to make it, where to get it, and all that stuff. And I found a PDF version of this Uh online. And one of the experiments that's in there, in my air quotes, that, that one you can see, it tells you how to like extract chlorine gas from other elements. What? And do you know what chlorine gas was used for? Uh, no. It was used in World War One by the Germans. <laughs> yeah. So uh, this book actually was out for sale for about 10 years before it was revised and removing the chemical, the experiments that needed the dangerous elements and chemicals. So basically they got rid of the whole book except for the prologue. <laughs> the it's, prologue and dedication. That's all five, that book It's had. five pages on how to write secret messages of lemon juice and baking soda volcanoes. <laughs> I guess. No, there, I mean, there's still things you can do in there, but it just removed probably like the chlorine gas and some of the other yeah. more dangerous experiments that were in there. The shit that can like kill you. Yeah. Blow up in your face. Yeah. Well, there might be some of that here. <laughs> By the age of 12, he is now reading college-level chemistry books and is setting up a laboratory in his bedroom at his dad's house since his parents are divorced. Yeah. But, you know, like any good parent, you want to nurture your kid's interests. For the most part, his dad probably should have took this as a red flag that I probably should stop this before he gets too far into it. And this is where daddy found out that he fucked up. No. (laughs) Not yet? Not yet. Okay. So after multiple multiple chemical spills and explosions, his dad would tell him to move his laboratory into the basement of the house as he was getting really tired of having to replace the flooring and drywall oh that would become God. pitted from the multiple explosions that would constantly be coming out of David's bedroom. <laughs> oh, we're not there. This gets a lot so, worse. So, okay, dad's like, hey, you're really fucking up your bedroom here, kid. Mm-hmm. Let's move all this, this like, deadly shit down to the basement. Right. Even though, like I was saying, he probably wasn't just doing experiments that constantly exploded. Uh-huh. Probably was, like, making dyes and stuff. But at the age of 14, probably when most of us were probably playing video games or chasing the opposite sex, David was in his father's basement where he now just got moved into after blowing his bedroom out constantly. Uh-huh. Um, he makes nitroglycerin for the first fucking time out of all the chemicals that are, are required to do that in the basement of his dad's house. Nitroglycerin, you know, is used in main ingredient of dynamite, but it's also used commonly for cardiac pain today as well. Uh, one of David's goals was to own every element on the periodic table, according to his physics, <laughs> his physics teacher from high school. And we're in this interview from his physics teacher said at that age my main dream of a goal was owning my own car 
But this this kid wanted yeah, all of the this, elements. Like kid was like obsessed with chemistry and science by this age. Even during this time, his Boy Scout troop wasn't even safe from David. And uh, there were times he would actually showed up with discolor, uh, discolorment on his skin from his experiments as he showed up to one of his scout meetings with a face the shade of orange from using <laughs> canthax. Uh, this fancy long ass word called canthaxian. I think that's pronounced how it's right. I'm going with it. I'm not trying it again. Which is actually used for food coloring and treating photosensitivity disorders. Also, at one year at his summer camp, he would end up blowing a hole in the side of a tent by accidentally igniting a powdered magnesium he had brought with him to make fireworks at scout camp. Jesus. <laughs> That's like... Kind of reminiscent of my times back in our days back in scouts, but I don't remember anybody actually bringing actual fireworks... To scout camp homemade fireworks homemade fireworks at that (laughs) but i mean in my troop there was the pyro patrol that was known for setting shit on fire like all the time you weren't one of them no i was not that's why you grew up and became a firefighter and that's i think that was our neighbor's patrol but that was before my time he was leaving the trip as i was entering uh because of our age difference the ones to the left? Mm-hmm. Okay. Up to this point, he was only making fireworks and moonshine, but his father and stepmother were convinced he was also making and selling drugs like he was a high school Walter White. <laughs> this wasn't the case just because he was, like, obsessed with science, so, like, his erratic behavior with that, from his pr- being gone all the time with all these chemicals and whatnot, uh-huh. he was just obsessed with the science. Soon they would actually start to spot check David, to see if he was at the local library, to see if he was there as he said he would be. And, of course, they would find him there with a pile of books on chemistry and other various fields of science. Of course. They would also go as far as locking him out of the house any time that they would leave, be it if, when they were going to work or on a quick errand, as they were afraid that he might level the house if they left him alone while <laughs> was, you know, for any amount of time. That's... He must have been exploding shit in the basement enough that they're like we have to lock him out just because we have to run and get tp like probably with them small explosions probably were a norm around this around the house yeah because of him constantly mixing chemicals and whatnot and not fully understanding what some of these things would do so i'm sure there was quite a few times that there was a an explosion or two that shook the house, shook the neighbor's house. I could just imagine growing up next to him at his dad, dad's house or let alone his mother's house. Yeah, I didn't get that luxury. I grew up around kids that put fucking toothpaste on saltine crackers and ate them for snack. The fuck is wrong with you Michigan kids? And then there was another one that, oh, would put kitten in the microwave. What? Yeah. Jeez. Oh, and then the Bible thumpers, but no, we're not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, even with them locking him out of the house while they had to leave, they would set up a time to tell them when he would be home so he can get back in and doing his experiments. His stepmother would actually do routine searches of his bedroom and dispose of any chemicals and equipment she would find hidden in his closet. Which doesn't make any sense to me that maybe he just has in his closet until he can move to the basement. I don't know. It doesn't specify why he was having them in, or in the closet. Or did he create a bedroom in the basement and the closet was in the basement? I don't know. It didn't specify where this bedroom slash closet was. Huh. Actually, one night while down in his laboratory or laboratory in the basement. Laboratory. Base- <laughs> <laughs> 
down the basement, David's hammering away on red phosphate, which is used in match heads. Oh. He's actually pounding away at this red phosphate with a fucking screwdriver inside of a glass container. I mean, smart. So upstairs, his father and his stepmom are watching television, and of course, what happens? Boom. Yep. Small explosion <laughs> comes from the basement. As normal, they go down the sea to check on David, make sure he's all right. But they find David semi-unconscious on the floor, and his eyebrow smoking as it was described in <laughs> multiple articles about David Hahn. As so, they would actually rush him to the hospital to get the glass removed from his eyes and his hands, and would have to visit a ophthalmologist for several months afterwards to remove some of the plastic and glass from his eyes. I bet. Didn't say if he went blind or partially blind from this. I'm going to assume he made a full recovery from this. Well, this incident was the last straw with his dad. So he said, yeah, if you're doing this, do this shit at your mother's house. (laughs) So. (laughs) Wow. Yeah, so he would end up moving his laboratory into his mother's potting shed in Commerce Township, Michigan. Into a shed. I'm sure that's oh. going to stand very long. Oh, oh, it does. He would actually spend countless hours in this shed at his mother's house and her boyfriend. Her, His mother and his boyfriend would never give a second thought about what he was even doing out there, even though he'd be seen wearing a gas mask at times and disposing of his clothes before his clothing before coming in at 2 a.m., even with a track record of how many times he blew up his bedroom and small explosions in the you know the basement of his dad's house. So one day, his mother's boyfriend gets curious on what David's doing out there, and he would ask him what he's doing. He starts rambling off a bunch of science type shit to Michael, his, the boyfriend, and the only thing that really stuck with him was that David said that one day we were going to run out of oil and I want to do something about it. Okay. <laughs> um, while being a member of Troop 376, his father felt he needed to use his worth ethic towards his science experiment towards something more meaningful, being his eagle rank. Which, like, it is the highest rank I said earlier. You can get in the Boy Scouts. To earn the rank of eagle, you have to earn a minimum of... 21 merit badges. Some of those are selected by the scouts themselves. There's a select number that you have to have mm-hmm. to earn the rank of Eagle. And one of the elective badges that David chose is, guess what? Atomic Energy. Oh, okay. <laughs> one of the requirements to earn this merit badge is to build a model of a nuclear reactor and explain how it works. David would actually earn this badge just before his 15th birthday in 1991, but... He was left unsatisfied. <laughs> As you can't see, Sarah's eyes got a three times the size of me saying that, so I'm sure she can figure out where the hell this is going. Yep, that model <laughs> became a real boy. <laughs> I'm a real boy now. I'm going to make the Todd. neighborhood glow. <laughs> the whole neighborhood. I'm a real re- fission reactor. Wow. So anyhow, now that we've ruined it... <laughs> So, David, actually, once you build a functioning nuclear reactor on his own, I th- to understand what David was trying to do in his mother's potting shed, I felt we might need to understand how we get nuclear power. And this isn't going to be a bunch of science shit to gla- that your eyes are going to glaze over with me trying to explain this. I put this in terms that you are going to understand. 
So you're saying you dumbed it down. But first of all, thank you for not saying nuclear. I, oh, D and I go rounds about that shit at work. You didn't see my post the other, my. Oh, I did. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Fucking nuclear. Okay, sorry. That's one of my pet peeves. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I even told the other the people that comment on that. It's like, don't worry, I'm going to practice this before I start. Because <laughs> I'm not making that mistake because our audio interface doesn't have a button that I can use a robot voice to say that for me instead. Yeah. So anyhow, to understand how we get nuclear power, what? You said nuclear. <laughs> Only because you brought it up and now it's stuck in my head. Way to go. <laughs> nuclear. See, you, if you wouldn't have said it, it wouldn't have fucking happened. So I'm going to put a terms in how this type of power plant works for you in the basis way of how a steam engine works. Okay. Like I did for the crash and crush. Okay. So think of the uranium or plutonium that's used in the reactor. So think of the uranium or plutonium that would be split in nuclear fission, which is where they shoot neutrons at the molecules and splits them in two okay as the coal that's being used in the firebox okay so this fire the fire in the firebox would be the reaction of the atoms being split from the fission okay so and when you split an atom there's a huge amount of energy and heat that's released so think of the control rods that help slow that control the speed of these reactions as the throttle on the steam engine or the brake handle this. Okay. And then with this chemical, with the splitting of the atoms through nuclear fission, um, this is a tremendous amount of heat would actually start to heat water, creating the steam like as it would in the steam engine. Mm-hmm. And then this water is pushed through a turbine, like the front pistons on a steam engine. Okay. Causing the turbine to spin, creating electricity as it comes out. Okay. And then this water is cooled back down and cycled back through the reactor to be reheated. So that's just a very dumbed down version of how nuclear power works. Uh, but like I said, there are other control rods. They're put in, taken out to control how fast this reaction happens. Okay. What David Hahn was actually trying to create was a nuclear reactor that would create its own fuel source. And this is known as a breeder reactor. Where breeder reactors differ is that they create their own fuel source, essentially making them self-sufficient. Mm-hmm. Unlike where the reactors that we use, like a new cook nuclear power plant off of Lake Michigan, they have to have the fuel source replaced. Okay. Uh, a handful of types of these nuclear, these breeder type nuclear reactors would be built, but none of them lasted very long because they didn't have enough power output to be efficient and meet the cost that it May took to make these things or they had partial meltdowns for the most part okay so david would actually have pretend to be a college professor making phone calls and writing letters to mul- multiple agencies like the nuclear regulatory commission the american nuclear society the edison electric institute and the atomic industrial forum and nobody would check his identity because he's trying to find out information on how to make one of these things and he was how old he was in his teens. He was like 15 when he started this project. Oh my God. Okay. And nobody like. No, not a single fucking person. It was like, we need you to send in identification or any of not, that shit before. At this time in the early 90s, nobody wow. 
fucking gave it a second thought over the phone. Probably because, oh, he's a college, a college professor. It's no big fucking deal. Um, actually, been trying to find out this information, a representative from the NRC or the Nuclear Regulatory Commission would actually walk him through with the steps on how to obtain and isolate the radioactive materials he needed. Over the phone? Over the fucking phone. Oh, my God. David did say in an interview, the NRC gave me all the information I needed. All I had to do was go out there and get some materials. Now, you would think these materials to make a nuclear reactor would be hard to get, but they really aren't. They are actually found in items, in household items. Like, one of them is even in our house right now. Care to share? Actually, I have a list of those, so hold on. He found out what these items were from older Boy Scout merit badge books. He found these elements in household items. The He needed four materials, amicium, Americium, sorry. Thorium, tritium, and radium. Small parts of these radioactive materials he needed can be found in smoke detectors. Okay. Antique clocks, like the old-style radium clocks where they glue in the dark. Yeah. Like the radium the radium girls, same yeah. thing. Uh, the mantles from the camping lanterns to help them glow brighter. Okay. And the gun, and gun sights that glow in the dark. Okay. In pursuing these materials, David, still acting as a college professor, called up a smoke detector company and claimed he needed 100 smoke detectors as the americium that is used in them is one of the materials that he needs. What is it called? Americium. Okay. This company agreed to sell him these 100 smoke detectors at a discounted price, and they also told him exactly where to find it inside the smoke detectors. And once again... Nobody questioned why he needed this many and didn't check to see on who he was. He also would collect, air quotes again, or as a, you've heard me use the term, hard borrow. Uh-huh. Uh, smoke detectors from a nearby Girl Scout camp to next to the one that where he attended Boy Scout camp at. Uh-huh. And he would be sent home after he got caught stealing these smoke detectors from there. Womp, womp, womp. Yeah. But oddly, nobody questioned what, why a mid-teen boy needs this many fucking smoke detectors. Maybe it's, he's just really paranoid. I guess I don't know. Or some of the other ways he gathered these materials would be going to antique stores with his Geiger counter and buying anything that had these radioactive elements in it. Uh, like I said earlier, one of these things would be the radi- the radium painted clock hands. Uh-huh. And one of these clocks that he actually did find when he went to go take it apart found a vial of the radium paint behind it. Wow. So, yeah, he was like... He lucked out then. He jack- he, It was like a jackpot for him. So he would actually go back to that same store and tell the owner, if you get any more of these clocks, I will gladly pay you whatever for these clocks. What did, what kind of job did this kid have? Because those antique museum... What, not museums. He held down... Expensive. He held down many jo- different jobs, like he worked for like grocery stores, newspaper delivery stuff, like normal kid jobs at the time, Burger okay. King, places like that. Anywhere he, and you can get a job as, you know, 15, 16 year old kid, he basically had more than one of these jobs there and he put all of his money back into all of his science experiments. So even though you think that might be the most bizarre way he like collected materials is calling the smoke detector company. Once again, acting as a college professor, 
He orders just straight up fucking uranium from over the phone from Czechoslovakia. Are you serious? Yep. And they're like, yep, how much you need? We're going to all send it to you. And he gets uranium. Wow. So one of the things that David would need to get his reactor going is what's called a neutron gun, which is required for shooting fast-moving neutrons to create the fission process. Uh-huh. He would create a small hole in a lead block, and he would put a piece of aluminum foil in it to help speed up the process of the neutrons to help purify the thorium ash, the thorium that he would get from the, the lantern, the lantern manual, the lantern man, mantles. Are you going to try and say the, the one that I had to say earlier? I'm going to give it a shot. So he would shoot, aim his neutron gun at the thorium ash that he made from the lantern mantles. Okay. Which he purified from you $1,000 worth of lithium batteries to, as an additive to keep it pure. That he either hard borrowed or... No, he straight up actually bought $1,000 worth of fucking lithium batteries. Wow. Um, so his purified thorium that he created with this process was actually 9,000 times higher than the natural levels found in nature. <sighs> and it was also 170 times higher than what is required for licensing by the Nuclear Regulatory Commission in the potting shed of his mom's fucking cows. Wow. By the age of 17, David Hahn would actually start to assemble his reactor after collecting all of his materials and with all the help that he got from the Nuclear Regulatory Commission without them knowing him as a kid, he would create blocks made from aluminum foil filled with the thorium ash and uranium power that he created using his neutron gun. Mm-hmm. And then he surrounded an aluminum ball filled with the radium and the mercium as his crude core for his reactor. He actually, these cubes were in alternating pattern, cubes filled with carbon in between them. And he held all this entire, this entire reactor together with the strongest substance known to man. And that's known as duct tape. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, maybe Gorilla Glue is the strongest thing <laughs> known to man. It's the strongest thing known to hair. <laughs> right. So after a f- trial and error, David finally does get his breeder reacting working too, and suddenly becomes concerned about the neighbor's safety. So, with his Geiger counter in hand, he would actually find radiation levels five five houses down away from the shed. In a panic, he quickly dismantles his reactor, putting it in the back of his Pontiac 6000. And he's doing this at 2 a.m. on August 31st, in 1994. So, you know, he takes it apart. Okay, I'm done with this. I'm not going to put it anyone else's arms away. I'll get rid of it. So, you think, middle of the night, no big deal, right? Nobody fucking saw him. No, one of his neighbors saw saw a young man and called the police because they thought he was because they thought he he was out stealing tires because he had run in with the law before stealing tires Uh when he was younger. So when the police arrived, they asked David what he was doing. He tells them that he's waiting for a friend. The police officer doesn't believe David's story and he's convinced that he's doing other things. So he wants to search David's car. And inside the trunk of David's car, this is what he found. The various parts of his reactor. So he found over 55 aluminum cubes that David created. Small disc and, sol- and cylindrical metal objects. The lantern mantles. Mercury switches. A clock face. Fireworks. Vacuum tubes. Assorted chemicals and acid. And a locked toolbox covered in duct tape. And knowing what somebody would be doing. What would you think all this shit would be used for? 
I have no idea. You, this police officer thought that David was making a bomb, but... Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, seeing all this stuff in the trunk of David's car, the police became alarmed that David was actually making a bomb. And David would warn the police officer that the toolbox was radioactive. So now, oh. this steps up to the police thinking he's making a dirty bomb. Okay. Which is basically... A bomb with radioactive device isotopes attached to it to cover much more. It's a lot of stuff that I, every time I'm like searching for something when doing this, I'm like, I'm putting myself on a list, put myself <laughs> on a list. You're going to be the next FBI's most wanted <laughs> for researching a podcast. Yeah. Oh my God. So that's day the police believe that David's making a dirty atomic bomb they call in the Michigan State Police Bomb Squad and along with the Department of Health of the State of Michigan to help with the radioactive materials. The levels of radioactivity in the trunk of David's car were actually high enough to enact the federal radiological emergency response plans. So then he got the real big boys on him. Oh yeah. So they end up with having his car towed to the local police station for further investigations as well, too. So now they're dragging this radioactive vehicle through the state of Michigan to the local, the closest police station for the Commerce Township area. Wow. Now with his reactor dismantled in August, it wouldn't be until Thanksgiving of the same year that he would finally be interviewed by the Department of Health of Michigan. And in this interview, David would finally admit to having the lab in his mother's potting shed and that he was building a nuclear reactor. He would tell David Menar of the Department of Health of Michigan he was trying to produce energy from thorium and hoped his success would earn him his Eagle Scout. Even though his Scoutmaster tries to block David from earning his rank, but his Scoutmaster was unsuccessful of blocking his attempts at this. Uh-huh. Because one of the requirements of the Eagle Scout is to do a project for a nonprofit organization while well, he was trying to better the world, so that's like the biggest nonprofit organization right. on the fucking planet. Right. November 29th, state radiological experts would survey the potting shed in the backyard where they would find pyrex cups, milk crates, jars of acid, and other various materials scattered around from David's experiments. They would test a vegetable can that he had used for whatever experiment that he had previously going on in there, and it was found to have levels of radiation 1,000 times higher than you would find naturally occurring in the natural world. Yeah. So I figured you'd probably be curious on what the natural daily allotment is. Sure. It's 1.3 to 3.5 millisieverts a day is what we're exposed to a year of naturally occurring radiation. This can was like 1,000 times higher than that. We're, yeah, we're talking like the little 14-ounce cans like yeah. you got in your pantry. Uh, these levels would be much higher if David's mo- stepmother had not thrown away everything after his lab was discovered. So she threw away his neutron gun, anything left over afterwards once they found out what the fuck he was doing. And then during his interviews, David would go on to say that they only got the garbage, and the garbage got all the good stuff. Oh. Their neighbor Dottie would go on to say in one of the interviews from one of the sources I used, I was pretty disturbed when I turned on to Pinto Drive and saw men in what looked like moon suits. I was disturbed by it, really. I went inside and called out to my husband, Dave, there are funny men in suits walking around outside. You got to do something. (laughs) Well, these funny men in the suits were actually the EPA. Ah. In June of 1995, the EPA shows up 10 months later and declares the shed a super fun site 
and it cost $60,000 for them to remove it, which in 2023, the total cost of the shed removal, $115,218.50. Wow. They would dismantle the shed and any other radioactive material that was left laying around into 39 sealed up barrels with labeled radioactive, and they would be buried out in a site in the state of Utah. I did try to find out if the house is still standing or if there's an empty lot by using Google Street View and satellite, but seeing the images, nothing really stuck out to me mm-hmm. on it, but trying to match up things in the background from the few pictures there are with it, I couldn't really determine what house it was, but from the satellite, it looks like every house is still there on the, for the most part, but mm-hmm. if it was only contained to the shedded area, which they probably tested the whole area then there would be no reason to get rid of the house. Right. You would think David would have gotten charged with something, but he never was charged with anything at all with this. Really? Yeah. I couldn't find any list of charges for him doing this at the time when he was 17 or anything like that. Even though it was an estimated 40,000 residents of Michigan, he put at risk at building this nuclear reactor in his mom's potting shed. Damn. Uh, he would actually earned the nickname of Radioactive Boy, probably in referencing The Simpsons with, with his high school classmates, because The Simpsons more than likely being one of the most popular shows mm-hmm. of high school kids at that time. So I remember a lot of people watched it our age when that was going on. Yeah. Now, you would think this is where the story of David Hahn would come to a close. But he would actually go on to college for metallurgy, but, but he would actually drop out and eventually join the Navy, and by a sick twist of fate, he would be stationed on the USS Enterprise, which happened to be a nuclear-class aircraft carrier. Jesus. What did he study in college? He went to go to college for metallurgy. I don't know what that is. And it's basically working with metals. Oh, okay. After his time in the the Navy, he would actually then go on to join the Marine Corps, and he would be honorably discharged from the Marine Corps from there as well, too. He was only a comms specialist when he his time in the Navy. Uh, He would did... Even though when the rest of the seamen were asleep, he would actually still be up studying other... Get it out. (laughs) Seamen. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, it's bad enough. I can tell by the look on your face anymore now. (laughs) I was hoping we could go right past that. I tried. I tried. I'm sorry. So anyhow... As I was saying, he was honorably discharged from the Marine Corps, but his time in the Navy, he was a common specialist, and he would be up at night while the rest of the sailors would be asleep, studying, you know, books on chemistry still and other various science-related materials. In 2006, David is arrested for smoke detector larceny. What? Yep. Smoke detector larceny. That's what it came up as for his arrest record his arrest record because there's one picture that comes up with it looks like he's got a bunch of swords on his face. Some say it was drug related, some say it was radiation burns. It's probably more drug related. Something's messed up. Possibly. <laughs> but in two thousand six with this smoke detector larceny, they believe that he was attempting to once again create one of these breeder no! reactors. 
the rumors that like just said also the rumors of the internet originally had put out that david Hahn died from radiation poisoning because of this one mugshot that came up but mm. this is not the case as the levels that he was exposed to in the confines of the shed are very low and he believes that he would only taken five years off of his life from his exposure to this radiation okay even in the initial reactor that he made as a teen the EPA wanted to study him to make sure that he wouldn't have any long-term effects, and he refused it the whole time. Okay. Um, David Hahn actually did pass away from mental health issues and complications with an interaction of alcohol and di- divinhydramine. Thank you, because I was just going to cheat out and use um, allergy medication and fentanyl <laughs> on September 27th, 2016. Or did I say that already? You didn't. And David Hahn is actually buried... In the Great Lakes National Cemetery in Section 13 in Holly, Michigan, that we have visited before more than once. That's my hometown. <laughs> so next time we go up, we'll have to be dark tourists again. Yeah, I mean. In my hometown. I think you technically could say you're a dark tourist just going to the National Cemetery, but you really aren't. Truth. So that is the tale of one of the Boy Scouts of America's more infamous infamous. Eagle Scouts that are on the planet. That's crazy. I've never, never once I'm heard that. I'm surprised you have not heard of this. Being, never once. You know, showing you on the map where your grandmother's house was compared to the street that this kid lived on. Yep. Nope. And, you know, thinking about that, you'd be thankful that he had this sudden change of heart and got rid of this because of the proximity of that. To where your grandmother lived on Round mm-hmm. Lake and how much time you spent, you've told me you spent out there with your sisters. Yeah. I mean, hell, you could have been there in the 90s at one of these during this time and could have had radiation poisoning and they wouldn't even know it if they wouldn't have stopped this thing. That's crazy. Small world. So, yeah. That's well, very interesting. Yes, it was. I'm sure that my family was probably going to be thrown off by this whole subject. And <laughs> in the family chats with me, constantly asking about Boy Scout popcorn, about certain things. And we're like, he's doing a story on popcorn. No surprise. It was not about popcorn after all. Why did you ask that question? Because about you know how most of the times I write in and do a write in kind of doing a foreshadowing I guess yeah. of most of my stories I was trying to figure out when the Boy Scouts introduced microwave popcorn oh. so I could use the word nuke in there at some point oh my but I couldn't get one written out you were going to try and be punny again weren't you? No, I was trying to go for two weeks in a row for the punnies <laughs> well it was good either way no. very strange yeah. I wonder if we've driven past his his site and didn't even know it. Oh, I looked at the map for Great Lakes. We like do and the main road that when the couple times we've gone through there, mm-hmm. it's like where the main office is. Uh-huh. It's on the opposite side of the office on the main road going back to where all the ossuaries are for the ashes. Well, that office that we passed, that's not the main office. There's a right. big building off to the right like Right on the road almost before you pull in. Right. I'm talking about the one that's like almost right the, little, in the, the okay. smaller one in the center. Yeah. I assume that was the, like the main office. It probably is open for visitors during the week or whatever. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's like almost the section he's in is like almost caddy corner from where that building is. Okay. So, I mean. We'll have to pay him a visit. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, with that said. 
I have nothing else for this week. Oh, other than the fact that Boy Scout popcorn is growing in the state of Indiana. Yay! <laughs> Corn from Indiana. What yeah, the I, know, fuck? I know. Shocker! It's was made by the it's made by the Weaver Popcorn Company in Van Buren County, Indiana. Never forget that first time I brought my nephew down here. <laughs> All the cornfields that we had to drive through, and he was so mad. Right? He was so mad. Oh. Sick of looking at corn. <laughs> <laughs> when researching this and that came up, all I could think of was like, I spent $20 in Michigan to take popcorn back to the state that it was fucking grown in. You sure did. What? But you were supporting the Boy Scouts. I know. Because I didn't really see the booth sales like I did up there the one time around here. I've never seen a Boy Scouts booth selling anything like i like this time of year right now you you'll see posts on facebook about girls selling girl scout cookies but you know because those cookies are the bomb <laughs> i see what you did there <laughs> yep so anyhow before we start on a runaway train of puns here yep damn it i couldn't come up with a bomb one for it <laughs> or a nuclear one for it yeah all right I think it's time we close up the Emporium for the day, Sarah. What do you think? I agree. So until next time. Remember to creep it real. And don't build nuclear reactors in your mouse pine shed. Okay, bye. Yep. Follow me, boys, follow me. When you think you're really beat, that's the time to lift your feet and follow me. There's a job to do, there's a fight to win. Follow me, boys, follow me. And it won't be done till we all... Wolf or bear, don't remember. One of those two. Oh, your brother's going to have a field day with your ass. <laughs> I don't care. It's whatever. There's a magical thing. This part doesn't have to fucking exist. Well, yeah. <laughs>